Hello, world singers. My name is Tyler. And my name is Brooke. And this is Cosmere Conversations. Once again, we have returned for another dive into the Cosmere, and I feel like with Oathbringer, one of the big surprising parts for me, and something that is just going to be infinitely complex that I'm going to return to and go back to again and kind of review and try to pick out little hints, is part four where they go into Shadesmar. Yeah, I would agree. I did not expect basically an entire part of the book to be conducted in Shadesmar. That was unexpected. And this is what we're going to try to tackle in this episode, going over the Spren as well as some of the things that we learned in Shadesmar during Oathbringer. Keep in mind that... One of the real interesting aspects of Shadesmar is that it is representative of Rashar's cognitive realm, but all the cognitive realms are connected throughout the Cosmere. So we know that the kind of link between the Cosmere, there's obviously spiritual stuff that's linking everybody, uh, but one of the big links in the Cosmere is through the cognitive realm. And we just, we see so much and explore so much in Oathbringer. Yeah, that's how a lot of people world hop and travel to other places, as we see in this book. And I thought it was super interesting to also get to see Shadesmar in the cognitive realm through... Uh, like a spread perspective because I think previously we've really only seen it from a human perspective like in Mistborn Secret History or with Shallan soul casting so I thought it was cool to get to explore beyond that in this book because we enter in to Shadesmar with our gang that has been uh, slowly picked off one by one. This is right after the loss of Elicar. Um, they're separated. Yeah, like directly after. Separated from other members of Bridge Four, but we have Shallan, Kaladin, the manifestation of both of their friends. We have Adolin, and surprisingly, his dead spren that uh, we learned his name is Maya, so the Maya Blade. Uh, is present in Shadesmar with them. But we also have kind of the the surprise unveiling, the surprise world hopper of Oathbringer is Azure, who we meet as General Azure, or is she going by Captain? Um, I think it's Captain. And her role is leading the group of... Loyal um, Colin, like the, the city watch, right? Yes, like the city the, guard, exactly. Yeah, the people who are loyal in Colinar 
to protecting the people uh, because they were part of like the the city watch or the army that watches the and protects the city and doesn't go out onto the shattered plains or anything and azure is leading them but she's like cloaked in mystery no one quite knows where she comes from but she has a shard blade and those are rare and so like everybody and she's a good leader of people and so the city watch follows her but they don't they kind of one ignore the fact that she's a woman which i found hilarious early on and when we get to dive into her character in a minute I i feel like that should be addressed oh yeah definitely but let's start with uh before we get to azure's character and really explore her and how she gets to be a part of this little group (laughs) we also want to point out that there is a lot of traveling through shadesmar in a way that we have not seen you know at best you could say oh we we see traveling in the cognitive realm of Mistborn Secret History. Right. And that's really the only one where you can see a lot of traveling. Everything else from the cognitive realm is is like mere moments. Right. And often it's just kind of linked to stuff. But here, we this actually- This is get... a journey. And it's weird to think about this whole second world that exists. Not, yeah. Not just on Rashar, on all the Cosmere planets. Like, yeah. Obviously, they're going to be different, and it might not be f- populated by uh, kind of sentient creatures like Spren. We know that the cognitive realm on Cell is dangerous and not really hospitable. But on Rashar, one of the early experiences that our gang has while traveling through Shadesmar is they arrive and make their way to a lighthouse. And do we want to talk about this lighthouse looking over the sea of lost lights? Yeah, I, like you were saying, it's kind of hard. I found it hard to like hold in my brain the world of Shadesmar sort of overlaid onto the regular world and keep track of the fact that everything is like flip-flop too. So where there's ocean in the physical realm, there is land mass in Shadesmar and vice versa. And then they come across this lighthouse. So there's also like these physical, you know, buildings and normal things like that you would see in the physical realm existing in the cognitive realm. Um, But I think we can definitely say that the lighthouse is one of the more significant things that we see in Shadesmar. Absolutely. And part of the reason for the importance of the lighthouse is that it is occupied. It has a lighthouse keeper or what I yep. assume is abbreviated is just Lightkeeper. I don't know why they would miss <laughs> out on that opportunity. It can only be abbreviated to Lightkeeper in this circumstance because the Lighthouse Keeper also is looking for Stormlight. I guess that is true. Yeah. But I just think like even normal Lighthouse Keepers should call themselves I mean, Lightkeepers because they they're keep keepers the light of the light. Exactly. In the house. Exactly. And they're, they're like keeping the light out for ships to see it's just they're doing their thing and i feel like they should have I'm a cool gonna name fight with you over why the lighthouse keeper Basically, is called the lighthouse keeper. once you 
read nothing but fantasy epics everything needs a cool name and if it doesn't if you're just a lighthouse keeper it's kind of that's a little boring. so boring but if you're a light keeper all of a sudden it's just well like, this hmm, lighthouse keeper maybe i don't know <laughs> this lighthouse keeper is also uh self-proclaimed an oracle so i mean that's a cool name and let's talk about this individual who goes by the name reno is that right that's how I said it. Okay. Well, how you say it is how we say it or how I mispronounce it. So <laughs> Reno is the lighthouse keeper for the professionals out there and light keepers for those who are cool. <laughs> the gang is going to arrive and Reno is going to one. Well, they're like not really sure they should go in at first, right? And Kaladin like sneaks in and like checks it out does first. his Kaladin thing yeah or... he scouts it um and he, the lighthouse keeper has like you know one of those very cliche sort of like crystal balls like ooh, look into my crystal ball I will tell you a future <laughs> <laughs> um and Kaladin looks into it and has a vision um and then Reno says that like oh he you he must be a surge binder because some type of like investiture is needed in order to use the crystal ball which so is why he's looking for stormlight do you, we have that quote do you want to read that quote from yeah. reno when kaladin looks yeah, in through because the... it actually tells us a lot about reno exactly so uh this is again after kaladin shows up looks in the crystal ball and kind of activates it and reno's response Quote, how? Impossible. Unless you're invested. What heightening are you? He squinted at Kaladin. No, something else. Merciful Domi. A surge binder? It has begun again? End quote. So right there, there in a single line, and this is the most Cosmere nerdy part of the book, but yeah. it, it's dropping so many hints all at once i feel like this is one of the most cosmere aware characters we've seen yeah obviously you know champions like hoyd and chris are gonna be above that but like we have but for like a lay person for i mean absolute, as much totally as much of that. a lay person as someone living in shadesmar can be just a casual <laughs> person who just vacations in shadesmar but we have mention of Stormlight Archive, obviously, because he's talking about surge binding and beginning again. That's the desolation beginning again. But he also mentions heightenings, the magical system right. from Nalthus. Nalthus, which is the Warbreaker series. But he uses a curse or Brandon Sanderson's version of a curse, <laughs> with Merciful Domi? Domi? Domi. That's how I say it. Okay, we're going Italian with that one. Cool. Uh, <laughs> Domi. And that specifically comes from Elantris. Yeah. One so, line, three different worlds connected. Cosmere yeah. <laughs> alert. I mean, I think when we first see the lighthouse and like meet Reno, anyone who's like read all of the Cosmere books is like, okay, this is probably 
Cosmere significant. But then, yeah, he drops that line and you're just like, oh my God, he knows all the things. I just like that we see Brandon more actively pursuing the combining of worlds. Yeah, I agree. It's really exciting. Yeah, and I see it as just like, where can this possibly go? And I can't imagine it because I'm not Brandon Sanderson. Uh, But it seems like Oathbringer for me really broke the floodgates in a way that this is his biggest work Mm -hmm. and the one that he's putting the most time into literally, you know, more than a decade, uh, certainly by when all 10 books are done. Uh, But like this is his his life opus yeah absolutely and i would say that while you could know the cosmere and love the cosmere uh there's nothing real cosmere necessary in way of kings uh and there's a couple cool moments in words of radiance but they're relatively self-contained but we now have oh my gosh but imagine the readers that haven't read other cosmere books Reading Oathbringer, I just feel like you lose so much, especially stuff that we're going to talk about today. Exactly. I mean, it's partially if those people Uh, are just listening. Yeah, if you're one of those people listening, like, hey, we're super glad you're here. Please don't take that as like a scare away. But please read all of the other books. Let's just have to like inspire (laughs) you to go out and read all of the other books because, okay, so we have Reno who obviously has knowledge of multiple magic systems on multiple worlds well and like what is the crystal ball That's, you know what i mean uh, another question that it literally it just happened really so fast i have no answer to to fit into like really anything else like my instinct is to say that he's native of cell because i feel like the language that people curse Cursing. in is generally <laughs> more their native i would agree with that as well especially because he seems to ask and know about the other ones, uh, but then reverts back to like himself uh, when he's cursing. So I would totally agree with that. And he does claim to be an oracle, but we know from now multiple episodes, uh, as well as any close observer of the words of Hoyd, uh, that Hoyd cautions against anyone specifically right right before yes this they meet reno like reno we talked about it in regards to taravangian and And renarin uh in our last episode but in reality the person who literally claims to be able to see the future is also happening immediately after shallan is warned i will say those words were echoing in my head pretty strongly when we got to this episode and i was a little bit uneasy that reno would not turn out to be the kindly old lighthouse keeper that he seems but then he kind of does like i didn't see any darkness coming from reno yeah specifically but then i think also like then when kaladin looks into the globe and is able to see like oh, Dalinar's in trouble, I need to get to him. That was also an impulse for me of like, wait, people keep telling me that future sight is bad, but Kaladin is like kind of seeing the future and like this lighthouse keeper doesn't seem too bad. So like, I don't know what to believe. 
And Renarin obviously seems like okay. Right. So, like, yeah. Yeah. It is. I feel quite... like so many mixed messages, and that's something that Brandon Sanderson does really well. Because then you realize <laughs> the messages aren't mixed, and they were all leaning in the same direction, and it just all comes together perfectly. But for the moment, I just feel like ah, so confused. I would agree. I think that when it comes to a character like Reno, in a moment like a lighthouse in Shadesmar, we're not supposed to fully know. Like, this is not I the mean, time <laughs> yeah. to fully know. And Brandon is doing that in large part for the nerds out there like us. I mean, he he's keeping multiple kind of balls up in the air juggling. And one is like the super nerds <laughs> who are looking for all these uh, Cosmere connections. I really am kind of worried, though, that there's something going on with Future Sight where despite what you might think in the instant of like, oh, I saw Dalinar in trouble. Like you're, okay, so Star Wars, the original trilogy, uh, you had Yoda who knew that Luke was seeing visions of his friends like being tortured or killed and was like, no, you have to stay and complete your training. But Luke leaves anyways. And like you could say, you know, worked out for Luke. No comment on The Last Jedi. Uh, but <laughs> the basic idea is are these future visions actually leading our characters astray, even though it seems yes. like they are okay? Yeah, I would present. agree. Well, and I think you, we even start to see that come into play in this instance because as soon as Kaladin looks into that globe and sees that that becomes his like primary driving objective is I need to get back to Dalinar now and he takes everybody and else so, with him exactly and so even though other people are trying to say like well okay but what about this what about this this might be better this might be safer etc cetera, etc cetera. um he gets really hyper focused on just that from the vision so I think you're totally right. And we already kind of see that coming into play of like, maybe you didn't make the decision you should have made or would have made without seeing that vision, which may or may not be 100%, you know, accurate. Especially when the character we previously mentioned of Azure was strongly against Kaladin's vision. And she was like, what are you talking about following uh, going down that's a suicide mission like i know where we're going we're going to the horn eater peaks why because i know what's there because yeah. that's how i got here and let's right and dive she in. like has a lot more knowledge yes. i mean i guess I, we're gonna dive in but just to say it may have been they may have been better off not going with her suggestion because by the end of the book we see that there's some shady stuff going on at the horn eater peaks too mm-hmm. so could go either way azure was I think one of the most intriguing and exciting characters uh, that we get to see in this book. And from the moment she is spoken about or comes on screen, um, before you even know she's a she, <laughs> um, it really like got my imagination and my mind like thinking. So I think one of the things that I found most interesting about Azure is the first reveal that she is a woman military leader in a world that we know is very patriarchal, very male-dominated, especially when it comes to fighting and the military. What did you think about the troops 
that we're basically ignoring the femininity of Azure or like Yeah, it was very interesting. And initially I thought it might sort of be an exploration of gender, which I thought was interesting. And then we kind of find out that it's not the men just feel uncomfortable being led by a woman. And so they just sort of willfully ignore the fact and sort of cover it up by like, no, no, we're like doing her a favor. It's like, it's definitely better this way if we just, if everyone just pretends like she's a man. So when you say uh, exploration of kind of uh, gender identity, what uh, what originally did you kind of expect was going to happen? Because my original read of what was going on when it was made clear that Azure is a woman uh, by Kaladin, but then going through all the people who were like pretending she wasn't, I honestly thought it was part of the the spell that Kolinar was under. Oh, and yeah. I thought, I thought Azure might be like corrupt. And so they were, oh. I, couldn't, I couldn't figure it out. In the I instant. did think like for a moment, I thought that she might also be a light weaver because Kaladin has sort of a weird like aversion to light weaving. So I thought like, oh, maybe he can see through the illusion, but everyone else is seeing her as a man. But I think I let go of that theory fairly early on. I... I don't know, for like a little while, for like a few pages, I just was like, okay, well, maybe those are like the pronouns that she goes by. (laughs) And so we get through a few more pages and we find out that Azure is a wielding, not a a normal shard blade. She has something special going on. Yeah, Kaladin sees her sword and he's like, it kind of looks like a sword or a shard blade, but not really. And she never dismisses it. So for a while I was like, maybe it's an honor blade. Exactly. And I think that the confusion is super purposeful i i did i mean i felt the same confusion i think everybody felt the confusion trying to figure out okay what's going on with this blade she doesn't dismiss it so is she bonding it or or is it an honor blade or is something else going on but the blade for me was the big hint and we see the blade early on it's like the defining part of azure she's always said to be carrying it around or like keep it you know nearby at all times never dismissing it and for me that was the big hint that azure is someone that we have seen before i don't think i didn't get it then but i think when she like so clearly stood out obviously i knew she, she, there was a good chance she was from another place in the cosmos. Oh, as a world hopper. Yeah, exactly. And then I just thought, well, her name is Azure. Like, which place do we know that puts a huge emphasis on color? And you can kind of put the pieces together where we are going with this. As we all know, because hashtags all spoilers all the time, (laughs) Azure is actually... Vivenna! Back from the Warbreaker world honestly man and she looks so different like not just a physical appearance but just like in general is 
Well, I think a lot of time yeah, has gone me by too, me too. for her. We don't know but how like, much how time. But how cool is that to be able to see a character like yeah. and it really go through so much development? In a way that it hasn't felt to me as any with any character, I really felt like realizing this was Vivenna, it was coming back because i i've reread warbreaker but warbreaker was also one of the earlier books that i read in the cosmere so uh it was one of my early exposures i would say it was a super positive uh exploration of the cosmere for me reading warbreaker really liked that book and vivenna was Eh, I mean, it's a good book overall, but like <laughs> Venna and Vasher's storyline was uh, definitely a highlight for me. Yeah. And so, well, and I would say she's one of the characters that grows the most in that book, also. Um, and it was just really interesting to see her. It's like watching a kid grow up a little bit, <laughs> where you're like, I knew you when you were just like a scared, timid, like prudish young girl and then now to see her like so strong and confident as a warrior like what a transformation and not just a capable warrior capable leader but also someone who has great insight and great knowledge into the cosmere of things yeah she's obviously been around a lot Possibly traveling with Vasher slash Zahel. And from her words, she is looking for Vasher. Well, no, doesn't she say she's looking for Nightblood? I believe, well, she, okay, I do think she says that she's looking for Nightblood, but then she says, if you see Zahel, tell him. I forgot exactly the line, but she like specifically references yeah, if you see the hell and then Kaladin's like the sword master. Uh, and she's like, yeah, we used to train together. So I think that she might be, have come looking for Vasher with the idea that maybe he had Nightblood realized that wasn't the case. And Nightblood's like doing its own thing. Um, I think her primary goal, though, is Nightblood. Yeah, I was going to say, I really do think she's just looking for Nightblood. I don't. I kind of felt like it sounded like she and Vasher sort of went their separate ways. Not like there was bad blood, but just that she was kind of like not there for him. And I think that her specific intention is definitely to find Nightblood, which I found as the key tip that azure was vivenna when i saw her sword which mimicked like in my brain i, I saw the the parallels yes. directly between her blade and nightblood a piece of metal that has been filled with a large number of breaths similarly yeah i don't think it's exactly like nightblood it's kind of like nightblood 2.0 like that's yeah she was like okay let's try to recreate this but do it better yeah obviously if you can focus your intent and the message that you teach the sword uh they made a mistake that was so bad the original five scholars made a mistake that was so bad it 
killed, some of them are led to the deaths, and terrified them so much. But Vivenna necessarily would not necessarily be bound by that same fear. So I really do think that she created her version of Nightblood, and that is the sword that we see. It does not manifest as a spren, a living spren, inside right. of Shadesmar. Yeah. And I think that that's important because we see all the different variations of blades with the exception of an honor blade but we don't think that that would manifest as a spren anyways um i think an honor blade would look similar to nightblood slash azure yeah that's what i'm thinking but to be fair we haven't seen an honor blade but in shadesmar we see the two spren blades yep of a regular well an alive spren blade a new one yes and a dead eye and so I am very interested in Azure's story. And then by the end of their voyage in Shadesmar, Azure's like, peace out. You get well, yeah. you guys are going the wrong way, doing the wrong thing. <laughs> yeah. We know, as you mentioned earlier, her location, her destination of the Horn Eater Peaks also has something terrible going on there Ooh, so i wonder if we'll see more of her next book too i would expect that we have to pick up with her and to be honest i think we should get her as a perspective uh her perspective traveling to the horn eater peaks because who else are you going to introduce that could like talk about or hang out with azure there's nobody yeah. we know in the Horn Eater Peaks. You could have conceivably done something like send Rock Rocks there. Yeah, yeah. Now they're down on the Shattered Plains. So, or they're in Urethiru. But our gang, after going to the lighthouse, is so motivated, so convinced by Kaladin's argument that they need to travel towards Dalinar that they make their way to a city in shadesmar yeah which i thought was cool because spren cities have been referenced a few times before this and so it was cool to get to see one of these famed spren cities and we see the city of celebrant which i found to be fascinating but also utterly confusing in how human-like much of the city was i guess it kind of fits because spren are manifestations of human cognitive thought and the kind of belief in in something but i I still found it somewhat strange like how kind of normal of a city it was in terms of like normal functioning they had like a port you know with boats coming in (laughs) and out and like people who worked like on the ports like moving goods and whatnot and passenger i mean it's not like a a godlike city or maybe it's a godlike city in the most like kind of uh, <laughs> traditional sense of you know right. the gods are Imagine just like us <laughs> exactly in our image yes and that but i think like especially for higher spren which is i think most of what we see in that city spren who are able to form a nahal bond because they are closer in that way to humans like i think partially part of them is like specifically geared to want to get closer to humans and so doing things like building human-like cities wearing human-like clothing is a way of sort of like filling that need or that hole i guess one of the things that 
Brandon is interested in doing is creating a big, massive, epic world, but not actually making it feel that alien. Mm. Like it is, I referenced Star Wars earlier, but it's not Star Wars. You know, the race of people is primarily human, and then you have humanoid uh, secondary characters. There's no... Maybe thankfully, but there's no Jar Jar Binks. There's no Gungans. Uh, there's no Yodas. Yeah. Uh, there's and I think like there's certainly enough to subvert your expectation and provide variety, but everything is at least recognizable. Like yeah. I think, like Wendell has his garden. He's like, oh, I tended my garden. I cultivated it so wonderfully. And Lyft is like, what did you garden? And he says, chairs. <laughs> so obviously, it's not exactly what we would see here there's like just enough to make you go wait what it's more a mirror world than an alien world and i guess i was maybe expecting a more alien and it turned out to just kind of be like a a mirror image world with slight inaccuracy slight imperfections that are you know the funhouse mirrors you get kind of warped mirrors a little bit and it just kind of distorts your body but it's still a reflection of you it's just maybe kind of in well, a weird like way kind of it makes me think of the little mermaid how she like sees humans and is like wow they're so cool i kind of want to be like them but she like doesn't know what to do with a fork <laughs> that's like basically what the sprint are doing they're like i really want to be like humans yeah. like what do i do with all these things i'm not really sure let me just like grow chairs instead of flowers now since we've just introduced the spren cities and the spren that live there and occupy them you mentioned as being kind of the higher level spren but we see and get a perspective of spren that is so oh my gosh we see so many spren and like so many cool things and it's all again all happening so fast in a single part of yeah the book. it's like just a couple of pages when i was like doing the research for this episode i did not have to go very far now let's start with uh maybe a couple of quotes about spren that kind yeah. of put us in the mindset and then we'll go through and point out the kind of key spren that we meet cool and see while the gang is traveling through shadesmar do you want to start from uh, Hesina, her quote to Kaladin? Yeah, so Kaladin's mom says, quote, Spren appear when something changes, when fear appears, or when it begins to rain. They are the heart of change, and therefore the heart of all things, end quote. And I really liked that. Yeah. I th- also was struck by an image there's a deep pull. I'm sorry for all the <laughs> secondary references for people. You're like, I'm Cosmere fans. No other type of fandoms here. <laughs> uh, but in the old, like 2004 Ben Affleck Daredevil movie, I know oh, it's not great, but just stay with me. <laughs> stay with me, guys. He can, obviously he's Daredevil, so he's operating with echolocation. And he explains that when he can see best, when he can visualize best, is as the first drops of a heavy rain start to strike the earth because each Mm. drop is sending out echolocation. And they have this moment where it starts raining 
on uh, the girl that he's interested in, Jennifer Garner's character. And he can like see her face for the first time as the rain bounces off uh, of her face. And just this idea of like when change happens, when the fear appears, that is the spren like coming into existence. And so I, I kind of just, when the, when the rain begins to start dropping, then the spren begin to form. And I made that connection. I know that's just what my brain does. It's super <laughs> weird. I'm sorry, everybody. No, but I do like the idea of them being the result of a change. I don't know. There's something interesting about that. Like surge binding all has to do with transformation, right? And like transition from one state to another sort of. Yes. And so. Change. Yeah. If spren are like the heart of surge binding and they are also the heart of change. It's the most pure form of a spren. Yeah. It's like them. It's and how Kaladin's stormlight is constantly renewed by the surge oh, yeah. of the storm mm-hmm. uh it's i i just kind of see that as like the surge of the storm is like constantly changing constantly pushing forward constantly covering new grounds constantly manifesting more and more wind and so on and so forth and so i i just think that yeah it's a cool interesting connection to like keep in mind of like change and then as we get into our fan theory episode uh, I know we've been talking about this for months. Now. I know we're but, hyping it up so much. It better be good. <laughs> and we start talking about the music theory. Just keep in mind that like one of the reasons that music works is because of change, change mm-hmm. in beat, change in tone, so on and so forth. The next quote we have about Spren comes from a Spren, and that is Miss Sophrena. So says to Kaladin, quote, Besides, I'm less a force of nature and more one of the raw powers of creation, transformed by collective human imagination into a personification of one of their ideals. End quote. So scholarly from Phil. Well, I also feel like (laughs) it's one of those moments when Brandon was like, watch me play with all these words. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I mean, it is such a fun sentence to say and to read it has such uh peaks and valleys i i just feel like it is a really author's sentence (laughs) (laughs) but like okay the power of life the power of ad nauseum being brought to life as a reflection of the things that are important to the humans on that world Yes. Interesting. Collective human imagination personifying ideals. Mm -hmm. It is reminiscent of a quote by a futurist, might be Alvin Tolfer, but he says one of the great strengths of human beings is that we can imagine a future and then grab that future and pull it towards us and like Mm. bring our present to the future that we imagine you know early on a human sat down and was like you know what i want i want a super cool hut like i want a (laughs) thing that keeps me dry in the rain and that i can call my own and just like build a little farm or whatever and 
you had to visualize that right. in your brain. You had to go out and get all the tools. And that was the great strengths of human beings is that like we could visualize. To see the end product. Yes, and an ideal. We could have back an Back up the steps to get there. Exactly. So we could have an ideal of whatever it happens to be. And then we could kind of personify the things that would make it necessary for us to create that ideal in the real world. And some kind of universal consensus, right? That like the spren is sort of an amalgamation of the way that humans have all agreed to conceptualize something. I think that the idea that sprenner change and they're the change of a kind of collective human imagination, not necessarily an individual human imagination. Yes, yeah. Because we do see that things in the cognitive realm do have a sense of themselves as a whole, like the um, Colinar palace knows that it is all one palace, even though it's made up of separate stones. It thinks of itself as a unit. Our last little quote from Syl, not as much to talk about, but I just love the idea that was introduced here. <laughs> yeah. Do you want to play Kaladin and Syl here? Yeah. Do you want to be Syl or Kaladin? Of course I want to be Syl. All right, then I will be Kaladin. Okay. Of course, some of the old Spren have four genders instead of two. What? Why? She poked him in the nose. Because humans didn't imagine those ones, silly. End quote. Gender's not really a thing for the spren of the pre-human Rashar. Or, I mean, not human genders, at least. There's Certainly. four instead of two genders, as humans see. And, the, I mean, the key aspect that Syl points out for the greater Cosmere is that there were spren... Before there were humans. So even though in the quote before it says the raw powers of creation transformed by collective human imagination, it doesn't necessarily have to be human imagination, but it probably has to be like sentient imagination. Yeah, probably. Yeah. And Brandon kind of has said before that he would refer to any sentient creature in his world as As a a person. person. Yeah. And I do think that is specific. Basically, you know, Spren might have now, in their current state, been mainly imagined by humans, but most likely, at least on Rashar, it should be possible for any sentient person to, or collectively, manifest Spren. Yeah. You want to talk about some of the specific spren that we see? Yes, and I would love to just kind of go through as many as possible and just kind of talk about the different aspects of all the different spren we see yeah, in Shadesmar. We see a lot of different ones, but we don't get very in-depth with many of them, so we're just going to kind of describe what we've seen. Absolutely, and then... As we talk or as you listen, hopefully we can maybe pick out some of the hidden mysteries of the connections between these guys. Because it did happen fast, but yes. again, I feel like every single thing in this Shadesmar section 
is significant yeah. and needs lots <laughs> and lots of dissecting. So let's start with the type of spren that were probably most seen yeah. in uh, our visit to Shadesmar, which is light spren. They are the spren that ferry the gang across the ocean. Um, they prefer to be called reachers. Which I did think is interesting yeah. for a name. Yeah. What are you reaching for? Uh, but And also that they have a humanoid form but with metallic bronze-like skin and they were described as similar to living statues yeah so they're just like bronze all over their eyes are bronze and they just have little holes for their pupils but otherwise they're just little like statues that move around and it's very difficult for them to speak as well um they sort of put in the effort for the gang but they seem to communicate through like vibrating chords they also often serve as guides or you mentioned fairies people around uh because they themselves either developed over time or have always been uh, kind of the travelers and traders of the Shadesmar realm. And I just, I find that idea so interesting because it suggests a broader economy and a connected world. I mean, okay, so you're mm. trading things. What what has value there? Is it just stormlight? But it's got to be something. You don't just have one thing that tra- trade doesn't work if you only have one thing. So you have to have multiple things of value, and then the things are only produced in certain areas, and that's why you have to travel from one place to another and like move the goods around. It just suggests such a larger world by saying, like, yeah, we have this like whole group of people that are you know, kind of a cross between like Vikings and, uh, you know, ancient traders moving stuff around. It's just, there's so much that we don't know and hasn't been explored. And even though we got a whole section, still wasn't explored all that much in Oathbringer. Yeah, definitely. We also know that the Reachers are uh, a type of spren that once had a Nihel bond because Captain Eco, who's like the primary... Uh, Reacher that we see, his father is a dead eye. So he was bonded at the time of the recreants and was killed. There's also some speculation online that there is another family member of Captain Eco that we know. Did you want to mention yeah. that real quick? Well, I think we mentioned that in the last episode. Captain Eco also makes a reference that his daughter used to work um, at the port of Celebrant, but she ran off chasing dreams. And it's suspected that his daughter might actually be Timber, the spren that Venley ends up bonding pure speculation at this point but it is at least the connection that we have right now is that it's a strong belief that timber is a light spren and so obviously all light spren are you know relatively uh (laughs) related to each other um if it's a direct relation back to captain eco i think that's a possibility right now and again it suggests that we will be maybe revisiting or 
exploring Shadesmar even more in future books. And then the spren that pull the Reacher's ships were also super interesting and I think told us a lot about the relationship between the cognitive realm and the physical realm. They're called mandras and they they always have more than one pulling the ship because they tend to like disappear. Like one of them will drop into the ocean of beads, kind of like dropping into the physical realm. So, and they have no way of anticipating it. So they make sure that they hitch multiple mandras to the ship so that when one drops, they're still able to move forward. And there's a lot going on with this because mandras in the physical realm are known as luxpren. Yeah, which is a really significant spren to the physical realm of Rashar because Luxpren are thought to be the reason why things like great shells are able to exist and reach such big sizes without crushing themselves with their own weight. As well as give ability of flight to things like sky eels. Yes. And so this idea of dropping in and out of Shadesmar or popping in and out of the physical realm, I find to be especially important because it references something that happened, I believe, all the way back in Way of Kings, which, if you remember, it was two people, the scientists. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The Ardents, yeah. Yeah. They're working in the Reshi Isles, and they are exploring, measuring the size of Spren and recording that. And specifically, what they discover is that the Spren's size does not take form completely until it is measured and this is yeah it's variable until a human defines it there you go said so much better than i did thank you i believe this is significant because it's in my interpretation brandon's way of transmitting a tiny bit of our universe's scientific understanding that has to do with how subatomic particles work we are not turning this show or even pretending that i can turn this show into please an no exploration <laughs> of physics but just for those of you that are unaware the current scientific understanding of subatomic particles including electrons quarks is that they are constantly popping in and out of existence. They are constantly dropping in and out of our physical realm, and we don't quite understand how they do this or why they do this. And so we have these, in our world, electrons popping in and out of their little clouds, and in the Cosmere world, or at least on Rishar, we have these Luxpren that are popping in and out of the physical and cognitive realm at will. Well, and other spren, as, exactly. we'll, as we'll see, are doing similar things. For example, we see glory spren, who in the physical realm, they look like just little golden spheres around somebody's head. 
in the cognitive realm, we see that they actually look like sort of like brown and white birds. They're like these flying things and they have a golden sphere that floats right in front of their head. And it's just that the only part of them that comes into the physical realm is that golden sphere. I found this aspect so interesting, especially when it's later referenced, I believe by Yasna, who who at that point in the story is like fully powered and can see into the cognitive realm instantaneously. And she sees the full form of the spren, but then what actually appears in the physical realm is just one part of the spren's actual body. And I think that's a fun revelation and just a fun idea that Brandon introduced because it's just like so fun. Any spren that we've seen, flame spren or rain spren, whatever type of spren that we have seen it's just a tiny piece of a larger entity yeah and i think it might be kaladin who remarks also like how weird they look on this side and they're like wow i they actually like look kind of cute in the physical realm but like here they're kind of freaky yeah there isn't a hundred percent comfort with the spren world and i feel like that's i mean because even like glory spren you're like Oh, like golden globe like that sounds so nice but like weird bird thing not so nice yeah like creepy bird with golden sphere like just staring at you weirdly yeah <laughs> i also found this interesting when we get into the somewhat darker uh spren so we have anticipation spren that we see as well they appear as slugs or kind of frog-like things uh more reptilian like kind of weird moving body they open their mouths to the sky and wag their tongues in the air and it is their tongues that is seen in the physical realm. That's correct. Yeah, right? as like Weird. red streamers. They're said to look like streamers before this. It's actually a bunch of tongues just like... Blah, blah, blah. <laughs> Excellent sound effect from the Foley artist. <laughs> I really think that this concept is so interesting, especially when it's introduced in the reverse with windspren yeah which like sill says the windspren aren't really in the cognitive realm um and what she says specifically is quote i suppose the wind is always there meaning the physical realm somewhere so they don't fade like passions do end quote and so we have these things that are living primarily in the cognitive realm with a tiny piece appearing in the physical realm and we have the reverse something that primarily exists when in the physical realm and is rare in the cognitive realm and i would assume something like gravitation spren or something like that would also fall into that category it's interesting certainly gravitation is one of the surges and there is gravitation spren but honor spren controls the surge of gravitation I just find that interesting that what you actually want is not to like bond to a gravitation spren. It doesn't have any kind of connection to the spiritual Mm. or cognitive realm. It's just mainly in the physical. Oh, yeah. So like a bond to a higher spren allows you to manipulate the spren that are closer to the physical realm. 
sort of? Well, I think it's more about like linking, connecting through the different realms, whereas like gravitation spread definitely exists, but it doesn't really have a strong connection in the cognitive or mm. therefore spiritual realm. And so it wouldn't really benefit anyone to bond a gravitation spread, but then it's very beneficial for a person to become a wind runner and be able to <laughs> manipulate gravitation. So I just find that idea interesting about like where do things call home? What realm do things call home? Yeah, very interesting. Um, we also see, well, we don't really see anger spread, but we do learn more about them. We learn that they are dangerous, like possibly fatally dangerous to both humans as well as other spren within the cognitive realm. Um, our gang flees from them for a while. They emit these sort of haunting screeches. Um, and Azure says that the the way that they appear in the physical realm as pools of blood is actually their saliva. Of a, like a larger kind of predatory yeah. creature. Oh. And I found the concept of predators... Again, it said primarily dangerous to humans. I don't know if they like hunt other no, they, spren. Yeah. They do? Yeah. Syl, I think, says something about that. Like, she's like, we need to Actually, leave. Those are dangerous. All right. Well, then, like, again, this is just like weird to me. It just like suggests so much other things going on. We have talked before about the conflict between spren that exists politically, and we know that they have an economy, and we know that there are like, predators and evil things going on in Shadesmart. Like, from my understanding of what I've seen in Oathbringer, there are just as interesting of stories going on in Shadesmart, uh, and we know basically nothing about it. Yeah, definitely. We also see Cultivation Spren, who, kind of like I said earlier, they look humanoid except they're made out of vines and they have crystal hands they also wear human clothing we have ink spren as well that appears as an inky or oily iridescent humanoid form so that would be like the spren that yasna has bonded which is notable among the spren because Yasna specifically says that he never takes a form other than human and he never disappears fully. He shrinks his size. Like when they're in private, he'll appear at whatever size he wants, but normally like a more humanoid size. And then when Yasna's walking around, he like gets really small, Jiminy Cricket style, and like hides in her hair or pocket or something. I don't know where he has. But it seems like inky, oily is a liquid, but then the spren itself almost demands or finds itself most comfortable always being in a humanoid form. Well, and I'm curious if that's all ink spren or if it's just Yasna's spren. Cause oh, I, think I guess that's a good question. Yasna also says that he is sort of a renegade of his kind. As the first to return, we would expect yeah. kind of all of these to be more renegades. And that's even why he names himself Ivory as the absolute opposite, opposite of, of what his kind is. As like a statement of like, no, I will not be like you. That's a very good thing to keep in mind how all of the spren that we know 
are also probably not normal uh, in the in Shadesmar in yeah. their world. Well, but even like pattern, like pattern doesn't disappear, but Syl can hide. You know. See, I mean, Syl can straight up pop in and out of existence at will, but she also like takes different forms and becomes right. different shapes and yeah, true. plays plays around with stuff. Uh, and I I guess you're right that pattern is also always present. Uh, but just more two-dimensional, normal, right, or yeah. um, slightly three-dimensional. But <laughs> There's also a mention of a spren with, quote, skin like cracked stone, molten light shining from within. And it's a single line and not really any elaboration on it, but cracked stone immediately makes the mind jump to a possibility of the stone wards spren the spren that would bond to stone wards could be exactly pure speculation though um and then we also see a spren and i'm just gonna read the quote because it's kind of hard to describe quote skin the color of old white ashes and when kaladin saw one of these point toward something the skin stretching at the joint of his arm disintegrated and blew away revealing the joint and knobs of the humerus the skin quickly regrew End quote. So I was thinking that this might be the manifestation of an Ashbren, which is the Dustbringer Spren. It seems like that would fit, right? Ashbren, Spren made out of ashes. Yep. Again, I <laughs> reaching mean, really far for that one. The speculation is real deep here on Cosmere Conversation. <laughs> they said the word ash. Getting it must be so creative. <laughs> uh, but I also think that we have yet to see. In a very well, we have a dust bringer in the, but we don't really see it. Her spren. That's true. Yeah. I mean, she's she's around, but we don't have any exploration of her spren. We don't really have any stone wards uh, that we've seen or explored. So it would make sense that Brandon is introducing those things in the background, which. On the reread, you'd become like, oh, this is the first time that they mentioned blah, blah, blah. <laughs> so that's kind of what we think those two quotes are. And finally, one of the things that was very interesting and quite, I would say, one of the most important aspects of what we got out of Shadesmar other than just like, oh, cool times and a new world and learning all this crazy stuff about different spren is that we get direct knowledge of Sill's history and backstory. A history and backstory that for much of our time with Sill, she doesn't remember, doesn't have full recollection of. Yeah, and as they come into the cognitive realm, she's like trying to hide herself and disguise herself, trying to look more human. She changes her coloring. Um and Kaladin's kind of like, what are you doing? And she's like, oh, it's not really great for me to be here because I ran away. We find out that Syl, well, I mean, we always kind of knew that Syl was a, a rule breaker. Yeah. And, and Syl was going against the wishes of the Stormfather. Yeah. But what we did not quite know or fully understand is that Syl didn't just piss off the Stormfather, uh, she really threw 
a wrinkle in the honor spren kind of political environment uh, because Syl is super important to them. She has some some of it a weird history, but we're going to go through it piece by piece. And that is that Syl is a very old spren. Like we yeah, mentioned. Yeah, like one of the absolute oldest. Yeah, we, we said that Captain Eco's father was around during the Recreant. Syl was alive long before the Recreants. Yeah, to the point where she was asleep by the time the Recreants happened. And we don't really know what this means of being asleep. Uh, it certainly like is not normal sleep. We're talking like coma kind of state. Yeah. Um, they said that she lost herself, and it's possible that there was um, a kind of mini recreants for sill um yeah it's almost like she like went to the brink but didn't quite die somehow she was able to keep herself alive because she was bonded to she says she was bonded to an old man he died in battle so he didn't break his oath and maybe that's why she was able to not die completely exactly and it sounds like she kind of like you said like she goes into a coma sort of lost her identity for a while her kind takes her and like keeps her safe in the honor spren city and then at some point she wakes up and is like no need to get back to the humans and it is rather immediate Uh, i mean she from her description it's kind of like she wakes up kind of comes to realize that she's not with humans and then immediately from kind of the telling of the story uh she breaks out and disobeys the storm father and goes and finds kaladin so she is a super old friend but she doesn't have necessarily the history or the experience of a spren that age would. Right, which is why she is still so like playful and innocent and she has such good faith in humans is because she was asleep for all of the things that most spren feel bitter about. And so we have honor spren that are literally hunting for Sill as soon as there's any and other spren that are like willing yeah, to turn her isn't in. Isn't there like a bounty? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So Again, it's just suggesting such an elaborate world with Shadesmar. I mean, again, I hate to go back to Star Wars, but <laughs> how much does it take uh, for a universe to develop to a point where you have a Boba Fett-like character, a bounty hunter, a person who's going... You have to have multiple bounties. You don't just have... <laughs> like, you don't get a bounty hunter who's just like, I'm going to find one person. Like, they need a job. They need a career. And so... They have like a job hunting multiple bounties over their entire lives and they get very good at it. And it's just like, okay, so who else is bad in this universe of Sp- like there's it just suggests so much else going on. And that is really what is so mind-boggling to me is there is this big gigantic world, and it's not as simple as just saying it's like, oh, that's where the source of the spren are or that's where the the spren manifest themselves or hang out until humans want them in the physical realm which is kind of what i thought spren were in the early books is like okay when humans 
do something, imagine something, honor, blah, 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 you know, fire. They reach into the cognitive realm and kind of pull something out of it. But that's not really what's going on at all. They got cities and boats and Boba Fett running around looking for Syl. It's crazy over there. I also want to call out just at the end here a small moment uh, that happens in Shades Mar. They are browsing around the shops in Celebrant and Kaladin comes across uh, a bunch of artwork in one of the shops and he sees this one specific painting that again he sort of like has a vision in and the shopkeeper specifically says that the painting is from the court of the gods which i think that it's the same painting that light song sees when he starts questioning his purpose i would find that utterly wonderful I was slightly confused, and I will have to read again. I thought it literally meant that it was a painting of the Court of the Gods, not from the Court of the Gods. Did it say from? Yeah, she says it's from the Court of the Gods, and she even goes on to say, like, wow, we're really lucky to have this. This is one of the few paintings that survived the burning that they usually do, because in the Court of the Gods, they are presented with new art every day, and then Mm -hmm. as soon as the god has viewed it, it is immediately burned, because no one else should be allowed to look at the holy art. So, okay, I feel better about that i i did originally think it was like i guess i was imagining literally like the gods like all sitting around and have been been painted and so it was like oh this is what's going on on the other planet they have like all these gods right now yours that makes me feel much better is that it's one of the paintings that was viewed by the gods and possibly mr lightsong himself yeah because it's described in a very similar way as just being sort of like blotchy colors excellent and when lightsong looks yeah he looks at at least a similar painting um in warbreaker and is kind of like hmm i see a ship i see blah 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 well he he starts remembering his own life right and then puts it onto the painting we don't know if the painting was meant to do that or it was just a well but then the this shopkeeper in oathbringer as well sort of references like oh the artist who did this is said to be incredibly talented like almost like mystically i mean how do you get your painting into a shadesmar shop unless you have uh, some gifts of some type in yeah. the Cosmere. So I just thought that was a super cool moment. And like, as someone who has read all of the books, those are some Easter eggs that are just like so worth it. That is a spe- an especially deep one. Yeah, and I was like, oh my God, uh, I was so excited. Well, I really love the version that you your brain told you immediately more than the version that my brain told me i was like oh it's cool they're like you know showing that the court of the gods exists i thought that was cool but i like a lot more that it was the painting that light song saw because that type of connection is way cooler than just knowledge of something right. going on but like an actual direct connection to another character that's what the Cosmere is all about, like forming these connections across a dwarf galaxy. Like we are trying our best to understand and explore this little universe. We feel like there is 
an infinite amount to talk about, so many connections between and back to our world, sometimes unnecessarily. Yeah, and then it allows us to make connections with you guys, our listeners. So keep reaching out on Twitter, Facebook, the Reddit, all the great things. Yeah, questions, comments. Tell us your theories because as we've been pimping for several weeks now, we have a fan theory episode coming up. Is that next week? Yeah, it is. Fan theory episode is now here. The next episode will be fan theories. And look on the Twitter, the Reddit, the Facebook for posts from us specifically asking for your fan theories. I've been compiling a bunch that people have been dropping out. Yeah, uh, I have a few I want to talk about. Exactly. And we'll be centering around the music theory. Yeah. And so getting all the little evidence for that theory that we saw in Oathbringer. Uh, I need to prep. So much prep to do. There's a lot of work <laughs> ahead of us. But that's what we are here for. Brooke, can you take us away? Until next time, life before death. Strength before weakness. Journey before destination. Destination.